You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Our reading this morning comes from Romans 12, verses 1 to 21. And it's on, you'll find it on page 1508. Or the reading is on the screen as well. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honourable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, 
but conquer evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. The first thing Jono um, said to me when he wasn't going to be here this morning and, um, and I was asked to preach was, you don't have to keep going with Revelation. And to which I said, thank the Lord for that. And I figure if after three or four messages on the book of Revelation, he needs to take a Sunday off, then I'm glad I don't have to get on with it this morning. However, when I was thinking about a week ago and started to pray about what to share this morning, the Lord um, led me late last week to the book of Romans. And um, I had a pretty good idea where, where he was heading me, to chapter 12. And then twice last weekend at the men's camp, uh, this very passage was mentioned and it seemed to confirm to me that this is what I was to share with you this morning. By the way, um, for you guys who organised the camp last week, thank you. The rest of us really enjoyed it. We had a wonderful time of rich fellowship. I'm not going to say warm, because I didn't take my coat off the whole weekend. I also thought I was borrowing my son-in-law's sleeping bag last weekend. And Judy said, I think it's going to be cold down there. I reckon you should take a rug as well, which I did. And when I got into bed that night, I was very thankful because, in fact, my daughter had given me one of my grandchildren's sleeping bag, which was small enough not to even zip up. So I was very glad of the rug. But we had a great weekend. So thank you to you fellows who, who organised that. <clears throat> Many commentators uh, will advise you to read the book of Romans if you want to see the gospel in a nutshell. Most commentators uh, and um, preachers, teachers, theologians will tell you that the whole gospel in all its contexts is contained in the book of Romans. If you start from 1 to 11, chapters 1 to 11, you'll find the gospel very clearly explained. And uh, we're going on the uh, supposition this morning that at least most of you knows what's contained there and uh, going on to Romans 12 this morning for whatever reason the Lord wants us to to uh, grab hold of that what I would encourage you to do is tune into the spirit this morning and don't tune in to Doug because I'm very fallible uh, and I may waffle I may wander as preachers sometimes do so I'm really trusting I've been really praying that whatever it is God wants to say to you this morning out of this passage, he will say, irrespective of what I say. So after he's finished uh, the first 11 chapters, Paul goes on to this chapter in Romans, and it's, it's as though he's got from 1 to 11, all right, I've told you all this wonderful stuff about the saving grace of Jesus. I've told you how to become a follower of Christ. Now this is what you do about it. And the, the chapter 12 is sort of what you do about becoming a Christian. Some of us take that a little too lightly, I feel. Some of us accept being a Christian. We take on the joy and we're thankful for Christ for saving us. We're thankful that our sins have been covered by his blood. And we don't take it a whole lot further. But there's some responsibilities to being a Christian. 
it's not just a matter of coming into a church and sitting and enjoying the worship, although we do. There's a lot more to it than that. And that's what Paul wanted to share as he's writing to the number of churches, we believe, who were um, based in Rome. And uh, we need to remember that, that Paul was not writing to an individual when he was writing his book to the Romans. He was writing to a bunch of churches. And I think we can translate that and uh, take it that he's writing to us also today. Paul's very good at showing us how to apply the theory. And uh, as I've been saying, I think the first 11 chapters is the theory and now comes what we do about it. So Paul begins, how should we respond to the incredible mercy God has shown to us? And so Romans 12 is the answer to that question. Paul starts by telling us that there's no way we can do anything. We can never repay God for what he did for us. It was a once-for-all action. It was entirely out of love. It was entirely out of compassion. It was entirely out of God's will that we should have a relationship with him on earth and into eternity. No way that any of us... um, can be rightly thankful for that because it, it's almost beyond our ability. But Paul goes on to suggest some rational responses and, and he says that we should have a life of thanksgiving and a life of worship, but that this involves more than coming to church and singing and praising God with a few nice hymns or songs on Sunday morning. The Christian life is not just about being a nice person or even going to church regularly. It's not even about praying, although that's good. It's not even about reading the Bible, although that's good. But Paul is very insistent that it's about the transforming of our whole being as we accept Christ and live by faith. It's not just something that we accept academically. It's not just something we accept by heart. It's something that goes down to our feet that we have to respond by doing because I'm getting off our backsides and and going to do something about it. There was an old uh, preacher who is long gone to be with the Lord, a New Zealander called Oswald Sanders, and he called this transformation of our bodies giving up the right to myself. Giving up the right to myself. And, And I would suggest that along with me, a lot of you stumble at that point. Some of us are more strong-willed and strong-headed than others. I reckon I'm probably amongst the seniors in that category. And uh, we like to have our way. We like to respond to things the way we think we should respond. And it's very hard to give all of that up, to let God take control. But that's what Paul is asking us to do. That's what God is asking us to do through Paul. So Paul describes worshipping as presenting our bodies, our entire lives to God as holy and acceptable sacrifices. Have you ever thought of that? That as you come to Christ, as you accept him, as you go on with him in serving him, this is a sacrifice that you're giving to him. This is something he's really pleased about. 
You know, in the Old Testament, they slaughtered the lamb and slung it up on the altar there with blood dripping everywhere, and that was the sacrifice. But God is calling us in the new covenant to live lives as a living sacrifice, as giving all of us back to Jesus in the way that he would have us serve. And so Paul calls this transformation, and he goes on to describe that we must have our minds changed to look at the world through God's eyes. And as we do that, we begin to understand what God wants of us instead of focusing on what the world wants or indeed what we want. Easy to conform to the world, isn't it? Easy to go along with the status quo. Easier not to rock the boat. But God calls us to be rockers of boats. <laughs> he asks us not to live the status quo. And I have to tell you, as a 70-odd-year-old, I read the newspapers and I look at the TV and I really don't think much of the status quo. <laughs> Did you look at the news this morning? Oh, my goodness. The world is in a sorry state and I don't think I really want to follow what the, rest of the, the way the rest of the world is going. So Paul shows us a better way. A better way. In the opening uh, in chapter, one of chapter 12, verse 1 there, he makes a point in the phrase, in view of the mercies of God. So it's sort of a therefore of what happened in chapters 1 to 11. Because of those mercies of God, these are the things that I now want to talk to you about. In Romans 3, Paul had made it very clear that we're all guilty of sin, that only God is righteous, and that we will all come under judgment. Do you believe that? What about the man walking down the street? Is he going to be judged? See, one of the things about Christianity that the world doesn't often pick up is that by not choosing to accept God, they've chosen to accept the evil one. If you don't make a choice to go to heaven, I'm sorry, I don't want to offend, but you're going to go to hell. The Bible is very clear. This is one of the very black and white areas of scripture. But we have to make the choice. My parents sent me to Sunday school as a, I don't know, eight or ten year old or something. Um, but I couldn't live on their faith. My two grandmothers, beautiful, saintly ladies, but I couldn't claim to be a Christian because of their faith, because of their lives of living and serving God. As a teenager, I had to make that choice for myself. And if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't made that choice, I want to advise you to, to make the choice because if not, there's only one other way to go and it's not good. So Paul goes on in this chapter to describe the three steps that he thinks we need to take to be truly dedicated Christians, walking the way he wants us to walk. Firstly, he says, we need to give God our bodies. We need to give God our bodies. Before we trusted Christ, we use our bodies for all kinds of pleasures and purposes, and some of them are very sinful in God's eyes. Um, I happened to be working on the wharf uh, when I became a Christian as a, a late teenager. I'd left school and uh, I was working 
for the customs department for a brief time and it happened to be on the wharf. Now, I'd, I'd led what I think was a fairly sheltered life um, and to go to the wharf was quite a change. Anybody here ever experienced working on the waterfront? Yes, yes. It's not quite Christian, is it? And it was very easy to be influenced and so it wasn't very long before I was involved in the Friday night pub crawl after work and trying to find the crudest jokes I could tell so I'd be in with the jokes when the card, came, card games came out at lunchtime. And, and then I became a Christian and I haven't got time to share that story. What I found was that I could still do those things. I, could still, I still had a body that was capable of doing all that stuff. But the Lord had changed my mind. I, I didn't really want to do that anymore. That didn't appeal to me anymore. And so the giving up is not as hard as you might think it is. Because the Holy Spirit will change the way you think, the way you use your body. Faith in God, now that we belong to him, is the way to go, says Paul. The Christian body becomes God's temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. There's no way you can repay God for what he did. The way you can give back to him is to give your bodies your lives as a living sacrifice. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. He wants us to sacrifice all of our bodily functions everything we can do with our bodies to him. Secondly, Paul says we need to give God our mind. The world wants to control our minds, I think. All that we are bombarded with every day. But God wants to renew our minds. But that change comes from within. The world exerts pressure from without, but the Holy Spirit changes from within. This is God's power working in us. As you accept him, he's promised his Holy Spirit will come into your body and his Holy Spirit will help you in the transforming process. If we allow God to control our thinking, we become transformers instead of the world controlling our minds and our thinking where we only become conformers. Would you rather be a conformer? having everybody else tell you what you to do? Or would you rather be a transformer, living the way God wants you to live in bringing a church to his kingdom, in bringing a world to his kingdom? As we spend more time with God, as we spend more time in his word, making it part of who we are on the inside, God will gradually make our minds more inclined to be spirit-led. We can still do the old stuff, but the Holy Spirit will change us from within so that we no longer want to do the old stuff.
2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces are looking in a mirror at the glory of God and are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is a spirit. Thirdly, Paul suggests that we need to give God our wills. Okay, this is is where the trouble starts. We all have our own wills, our own desires, our own way of solving our problems, don't we? Our minds control our body and our will, but our desires control our minds. And it's only when we yield our will to God that his power can take over and give us the willpower that we need to be victorious, obedient and dedicated Christians. This is Paul's message from God this morning. It's not a natural thing to us to give up our bodies, our minds and our spirits, our will, but it's part of the decision we make to follow the Lord Jesus, Paul is telling us. A renewed mind capable of discerning and approving God's will. But that renewed mind also needs to be active in evaluating ourselves, says Paul, evaluating our identity, evaluating our gifting. What is it that God given us that he wants us to use for his kingdom? A renewed mind, says Paul, is a humbled mind. Verse 3, I tell everyone not to think of himself more highly than he should think, but that he should have a mind like Christ's, who though existed in the form of God, emptied and humbled himself. Take time later, I haven't got time right now, to read Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Very encouraging words. We are encouraged not to think more highly than we ought of ourselves. To put that will and that um, desire that we all have to do things our way below God's. Paul is telling us to judge ourselves by God's standards and not by our standards. And he goes on to say that we all need to find our spiritual gifts. We need to find out where we can use those spiritual gifts, what ministries or ministry we are to have in the local church. As church members, we belong to each other and we need each other. We need to come along Sunday mornings and encourage each other. And Christians are meant to operate in that way. We are meant to operate together, not as individual um, entities in the community. Because Paul says, as we come together, we form the body of Christ, all the different parts coming together. That doesn't mean that um, we are intended all to be the same, because we're not. We're not robots. We are to serve different functions in the church as we each use the gifts that God's given us, which are probably different from the guy that's sitting next to you this morning. And our job, our duty, if you like, as Christians, is to serve the function that God given us in service to each other and in doing it in the power of God and to his glory. Paul uses the word gifts 
to describe our differing functions. In the church, we tend to call them spiritual gifts. These gifts are given to each and every Christian by the Holy Spirit to be used in specific service to and in the church. Look at verse 4. According to the grace given us, we have different gifts. It doesn't mean some of us have gifts. We all have at least one gift according to this verse. According to the grace given you as a Christian by the filling of the Holy Spirit, we all have different gifts. It doesn't say some of you have gifts. It says we all have different gifts. And these are given for us to perform or fulfill a specific function that our fellow members of the church and those around about us really need. They've not just been given to us as a gift by God to hang on to, but he intends us to use those gifts for the building up of each other, his church, and for his glory. And so Paul says as we allow God by his Holy Spirit to transform our bodies, our mind, and our soul, it will affect our relationship with each other. And he goes on to describe in this letter to those churches in Rome what the relationship between the churches and the members of those churches should be. The basic idea, I think, is that each believer is a living part of Christ's body. And I, I won't have time, I don't have time, but if you check later, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, 7 to 16, you'll read a lot more about the gifting and of, of each individual Christian and we've all heard the story before, I'm sure, about um, how Paul likens this transformation and likens this um, gifting that we have and calling us each to come together to use our gifts together. He, he, he brings us the picture of a body. The muscle can't work without the blood running through them. The arms don't move if the bones don't connect one with the other. The eye doesn't see if it's not connected to the brain that tells it what to see. And he says it's the same in the church. We've all got different gifts. So I guess this morning I'm looking out on a bunch of arms and legs and hearts and kidneys and some of you might even be a part that I won't mention. I don't know. But we are called as the body functions properly together as one. This is the image Paul wants us to get. That we're all as Christians, if we're following the Lord Jesus Christ, if we've accepted the gift of life that Jesus gives us, then we have a gift or more than one gift and we should be getting together and blending those gifts in the one body of Christ for the sake of the kingdom of God and the world around us. It's pretty easy, really, when you think about it. And so there's no need for some of us, any of us, to be jealous of somebody else. I think Pastor John O is probably one of the best preachers I've heard. I love the way John O expounds the word to us. He's extremely gifted in. And that's good. That's his gift. I'm not jealous of that. Are you jealous because there's somebody in the church that do things you can't? Don't be jealous. Look inside and see what your gift is and how God wants you to use it in combination with the rest of us to bring glory to his name. 
Not many of us can get up with our guitar and lead worship. That's Josh's gift. So what's your gift? And I wonder if you're sitting on it and you're not using it for my benefit and the benefit of all of those that are sitting in the room this morning. There's a challenge there, isn't there? There's a cost to being a Christian. I don't think Paul is allowing this morning for people who come to church Sunday by Sunday and sit in their pews and don't try to find out what their gifts are and how they can use them. Because this is our living sacrifice to God. This is how we can begin to relate back to him. This is how we can begin to show him how thankful we are for our salvation. I'm a, a reader of John Stott. And uh, you, some, most of you are young enough to not even know who John Stott is. You can Google that later and find out. Uh, a theologian, a teacher, a great pastor. He was the first, pa uh, the first um, vicar of All Saints Church in London, Langham Place, which is a, a thriving church with hundreds of attendees these days. I like the way John Stott puts it. Paul gives his readers a sample of seven gifts in these verses, which he urges them to exercise conscientiously for the common good. He divides them into two categories, which might be called speaking gifts, for example, prophesying, teaching, encouraging, and service gifts, serving, contributing, leading, showing mercy. Peter makes the same distinction in 1 Peter 4.11, where he states, if anyone speaks or if anyone serves, which category do you come into? Paul made it plain that in human depravity, sinfulness reveals itself through our bodies. In chapter 3, he reminds us that tongues and lips are often used in spreading gossip or lies or deceit. Mouths that are full of cursing and bitterness. Feet swift in going to cause destruction and shed blood. Hands to be willing to be part of dreadful acts and eyes which look away from God. But here in chapter 12, he shows us conversely that Christians who are saved by God's grace and mercy, Christians who have been sanctified by the life-saving blood of Jesus, also shows in the deeds of what we do and of who we are, working for the good of each other and for the extension of God's kingdom. Again from John Stott, our feet will then walk in God's path. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel of Christ. Our tongues will bring healing and not destruction. Our hands will lift up, lift up those who have fallen and perform many mundane tasks as well, like the cooking and the cleaning, the typing and the mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed. And our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. Boy, that's something that I'd like to attain to. Haven't got there yet. 
but trusting God to help me work towards it. I hope that's something you will attain to as well. Altogether, the church is Christ's body, each person serving a specific function that keeps the body going. There is so much more in chapter 12, but our time is limited and I don't want to take more than I should. But Paul exhorts us to love each other. He describes us as a family. And as siblings in God's family, we should take the form of trying to outdo each other in giving honour to each other. Think of the other person ahead of yourself in loving and serving. And not just doing it because you think you should, but doing it out of enthusiasm as you let the power of God work in and through you. This life of sacrifice, Paul reminds us, will involve our mind, our will and our emotions. We need to clearly, continually acknowledge that our hope, our future in eternity with God is worth celebrating and that we celebrate it in service to each other. Paul began Romans 12 by asking the question, since he owed us nothing and has given great mercy, how should we respond? And the answer is in a life of self-sacrificing worship. Spent serving the Lord and other believers refusing revenge and overcoming evil with good. I've got a little story to share in closing and those of you who know me well won't be surprised that it has a connection to the British royal family. Many years ago, there was a lady named Queen Mary who was long deceased before any of us were born. She was the great-grandmother of the current King Charles, who we've just seen crowned in London. Anyway, apparently she was a great lover of Scotland and used to travel up there regularly. And she was so loved by the people that they were, she was apparently able to mingle in the villages and, and towns in Scotland almost unnoticed and even without a protective escort because she was so well known and so loved. One afternoon she was walking with some children and she went a little further than she'd planned to walk. Dark clouds came up unexpectedly and she went to a nearby house to borrow an umbrella. If you lend me an umbrella, she said to the lady who answered the door, I'll send it back to you tomorrow. Unfortunately, the woman didn't recognize the queen and she was reluctant to give a stranger her best umbrella. So she handed her the one that she intended to throw away. The fabric was torn in several places and one of the ribs was broken. So off went the queen with the broken umbrella. The next day, there was another knock at the lady's door and she went and opened it and she was greeted by a royal guard holding her umbrella. The queen sent me, she said, he said, and she asked me to thank you for loaning her this and she's returning it with uh, thankfulness. For a moment, the lady was stunned 
And then she burst into tears and said, what an opportunity I missed. I didn't give the Queen my very best. Are you giving the King your very best this morning? Or just part of it? It's wonderful you've all come out on a cold Sunday morning to be here and enjoy this service together, to worship our God, to encourage each other, to bless each other, to have a nice hot cup of soup later on. But are you giving the very best to the king who gave his very best that you could be sitting here? That you could have personal one-on-one fellowship with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who created and rules the universe? And what are you giving back in return? He's not going to force you. That's not how God works. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to take control of your bodies, your mind and your will, he will place you where he wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do with the particular gifts that he's given just to you for those very purposes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our salvation in Jesus. We thank you for the cross, the heavy price that was paid. And we ask, Lord, that you would show us how you want us to give our minds and our bodies and our wills to you. Help us, Lord, to place you first. And for each of us to be asking, Lord, what you want us to do in service for you, in service for your family, in service for your church in service for the community. So we ask you, Lord, that as we go, you would remind us of the things you've said this morning and that we'll be willing to take what you say and use it for the glory of God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I love how in Romans, Paul writes letters that are always so encouraging for believers to to give them a good um, reason for why we do what we do. Um, And thanks, Doug, for helping us to see that more in Romans 12. Uh, We're going to sing a song um, that I'd love for you guys to just reflect on what you've just heard, reflect on um, your relationship with Christ. If you want to stand and sing, please do. If you want to sit and pray, please do. Yeah, this song is all about recognising exactly what what Doug just preached. Our lives are not our own, are bought by Christ, um, and we give them back to him.
died to sin upon the cross. I'm bound to Jesus in his death. The old is gone and now I must rely on him. Yeah, yeah. 